What is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. My guest today is Jeffrey Cunningham, coach of the Bat City Track Club. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fabulous. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So for those who've never been to Austin uh, and have no frame of reference or context, why Bat City? What does that mean? Yeah, that's really funny. Um, well, we're actually well known for our bats. Um, the South Congress Avenue Bridge, it was remodeled, uh, say renovated, whatever you do to bridges in 1980. And it basically, the way it was structured, made it perfect for a bat cave. And the bats basically took up residence there. And then they fly out at dusk, typically between the months of March and September-ish in Austin at dusk. And they fly out basically in a swarm um, and it's become quite a tourist attraction, and thus you have Bat City. That's awesome. I love it. Yep. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, then we'll kind of just move from there into to wherever the conversation takes us. Sure, yeah. So I actually grew up in Northeast Texas and went to high school in Tyler at Lehigh, and I – Ran the 3200 and then the 1600 and uh, ran cross country and uh, graduated there in the early 1990s and then went to Baylor and then ran cross country track at Baylor, Sikkim Bears, and mm -hmm. uh, actually ended up going to law school there. Um, and I continued to run and, uh, while I was in law school, actually ran some PRs while I was in law school and discovered some interesting things about training, about structuring the training and what worked that was maybe a little bit different, right? Than mm -hmm. what I um, sort of was familiar with in high school and running an undergrad and then sort of segued into practicing law um, after that. Awesome. So did you have any idea uh, when you were starting out your, you know, law practice, like, oh, I'm going to get back to coaching or, or, was, was it kind of a surprise? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I uh, never really had an inkling that I wanted to coach per se. And then literally my first year out of law school, uh, 2001, um, I got a job working at a law firm in Austin, but my mother actually had a colleague whose son was an up and coming young distance runner up in Northeast Texas. Mm -hmm. And I coached him and he ended up getting second at the state meet in the 3200 and signed with the University of Houston. That was back in 2002, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, when he uh, went to University of Houston. And so then I took up coaching a spattering of kids here and there. And then my wife, who was um, actually an All-American. Um, and an NCAA champion at Baylor in the four by four, who I married, um, started coaching in 2004 at mm -hmm. St. Michael's Catholic Academy, which was the largest Catholic high school in Austin at the time. And so then um, in the fall of 06, I formally came on uh, and um, as her assistant and started coaching cross country. Uh, at St. Michael's Catholic, uh, sort of in the quote unquote official sense at the high school. Nice. That's awesome. What's the origin story or what's the background uh, build up to Bat City Track Club? Well, I, <clears throat> I, I coached a lot of high level kids in high school and uh, uh, obviously trying to practice law was really busy. So I sort of had to come in and out of it sometimes. And 
um, in 2018, I had, um, just stepped away from coaching at St. Michael's for a year. I was sort of on a sabbatical-ish. At the time, one of my ex-athletes approached me and said, hey, would you coach me? Um, she was post-collegiate at that time, and I agreed to do that. And then um, I said, hey, let's run the Houston Marathon. And she did that in 2019. Um, and then I uh, started coaching another uh, uh, athlete who I coached briefly in high school. And then it sort of blossomed from there. Um, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, uh, uh, they ran well and they, um, um, had some friends who were like, Hey, maybe I could use some help too. And so I just started coaching individuals here and there. And it just sort of the group grew and the group grew. And then mm -hmm. here we sit in 2022. That's so awesome. So how many current members do you, do you have on the club? Um, uh, we're at 20 plus right now, I think about 25, right now excuse me and uh we have everybody from um olympic trials qualifiers to uh people who are still uh, you know right on the cusp of uh, uh running regionally elite times um mm -hmm. and uh that's sort of where i try to limit it uh to some to some degree mm -hmm. uh only because i've got limits on my time and limits sure. on um, how I can structure practices effectively, you know, when I've got uh, people running really, really fast paces and then various paces on the continuum. So we just try to structure things in a way that's conducive to um, high level performance for the folks on the team. Sure. That's awesome. So is everyone, pardon me, half marathon, marathon? Do you, ha do you have mm. a, a pretty wide range of, of events that people are, are training for? Yeah, well, we our primary focus is the half marathon and the marathon. Um, obviously, we dip down, run 10K and run 5Ks, uh, more sort of the developmental during the training blocks. Um, we uh, call ourselves Bat City Track Club, but other than a few track um, fives and tens during the springtime, um, and even then that's for selected individuals, we don't spend a lot of time training for the track events. Mm -hmm. Why is that? There's a lot of people ask that. Well, um, I don't think that it comes as a surprise to a lot of people that the post-collegiate world in track is really, really difficult. And mm. when you look at the um, 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 progression of the times and performances in the U.S., the ability to get into a really, really good meet is really, really difficult. Um, and so what we find is, is that with a lot of post-collegiate athletes that want to continue their career, who didn't go and get that that, that, that sort of gem spot or get that, that bonded contract, you know, um, where mm -hmm. people, I think, believe those things are falling off trees for people and they're not. Mm -hmm. uh, people have a really good opportunity to go and pay their 150 bucks or whatever. And then you go to a marathon, you go to a half marathon, you're on the same starting line. You're in the same starting corral, potentially, if you get mm -hmm. into an um, athlete development group or into the elite field, right, mm -hmm. at some regional marathons with Olympians. And so it is a fascinating process that you can see with an athlete who's inspired by what can be because of the uh, uh, lack of barriers to entry, so to speak, into mm -hmm. getting into elite road racing. And so that's why we focus on that, right? That's awesome. Yeah, that's especially with what's going on, like the past, really the past year, but like, uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with indoor track right now. The, right. the U S 5k record just dropped. The women's 5k races. record just dropped. Like 
records are dropping all over the place right now. Like in the same race, the American, Canadian, and UK record in the 5K. Like right. And, and the funny thing is, is I actually uh, tested my collegiate coach Steve Gully, who's uh, the head coach at Tulsa now, and mm. of course he was Mark Scott's coach in high school when Mark Scott um, won the NCAA championship in the 10,000, right? Mm -hmm. And then Mark went and ran 12.57. And I said, coach, I said, you realize 12.57 is a second faster than Saeed Oida ran when he was the first guy to ever break 13 minutes? And that was my idol in 1987 when Oida ran 12.58. Yeah. Here's a guy who my college coach coached who just ran a 12.57. It's unbelievable to watch, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. every single weekend, it seems like something's going down, like something big is happening. And, uh, right. but yeah, like the Cole Hawker and Cooper tier shot for mm -hmm. the, uh, the indoor mile and were fractions of a second off. And like in that race, there were really only three people who finished. There were five who started. There were two pacers. So it's like, how do you get into that small right. field? You can't. You can't, sorry, you can't like, but that's right. Any, anybody can run a half marathon or a marathon. That's right. And, and you're, and by any standard, if you're running 1410 for 5,000 meters, you're a good runner. You're mm -hmm. the upper, they're the upper one half of 1%, uh, probably a smaller percentage than that. If we look at the total number of people who run a 5k in the U S every year, well, mm -hmm. you sure as hell can't go out and run a, a, a two thirteen marathon. 214 marathon if you were a high-end aerobic machine um if you're a 1405 5000 meter guy that's a relevant performance and you get to create your own relevance by simply just going out there and training hard and we hear these stories of relatively and we have to say relatively because it's in the context of already fairly elite running but relatively ordinary runners you know women who are 16 20 5000 meter runners men who are 14 30 5000 meter runners training for years and then showing up and running some really outstanding times in the half marathon on marathon when, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the narrative actor is, is who to thunk it or who saw it coming. And the answer is, well, my coach, cause I've just been hunkered down and I've been training <laughs> for, for, for 13 months and I just emerged from the mist and I did this and I was ready, you know? Yeah. 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 I wasn't blowing up Instagram every day. Mm -hmm. I was just nose to the grindstone, putting in work, putting in work. Yeah, just like we did this morning. It was a good day. That's awesome. So yeah. that's that's like perfect segue. Um, tell me about your coaching philosophy. Yeah, well, my philosophy, very simply put, is um, allow yourself to dream, but then you got to put the method so that you can then somehow make sense of the madness. In other words, mm. you have to meet the physiologic demands of what it is that you seek to accomplish. And it is um, complicated, but not that complicated. Um, it's about building a high-end aerobic engine. Listen, we're running events that are all um, almost, I mean, in the 94 to 99% percentile in sort of aerobic and composition as far as the system that you're using, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I tell people is, is 10K training doesn't look a whole lot different from marathon training, okay? Mm -hmm. Except when you start doing some certain sharpening up workouts and some sort certain race, uh, race specificity work, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you better be an aerobic machine to do these events, right? So my coaching philosophy is, is 
let's run right up to sort of what we can handle from a max volume standpoint without rolling fatigue over and without getting injury. Mm -hmm. And then also I am coaching people who are not professional runners. And by professional, I mean this. I mean, most of these people have taken $200 for winning the Littleville 5K. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is nobody is laying around on massage tables all day. Nobody is sitting in cryogenic chambers for, you know, 30 minutes or 15 minutes a day, twice a week or whatever it is you do. Right. These are people who are accountants, who are uh, computer programmers, who are licensed clinical therapists. Right. (laughs) Who have professions, not jobs, many of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Most of them. And so at nine o'clock, they have to either be in a brick and mortar office or they have to be on their computer on a Zoom call. And mm-hmm. so what I do is, is I have to fit the training into their lives and not try to make them fit their lives into their training. And what do we do? We decrease training density. That's one of the big things that I do. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's have a really big workout. Let's make it count. Let's not fall prey to the high school in the collegiate model, which is Tuesday's track day, Friday or Thursday is tempo day. And then somehow I might even try to squeeze in a race on Saturdays and get a long run in, which means that you've done four hard days. And I count the long runs a hard day because in my world, 19 miles isn't easy to run, right? Even if you go out and run seven, seven and a half minute miles, just 19 miles, right? Mm-hmm. So fit the training into their lives to keep them mentally fresh, physically fresh, reduce the chances of injury when we are not necessarily able to engage in a lot of the downtime stuff, the Mm -hmm. prophylactic stuff, the Mm -hmm. recovery, quote unquote, stuff. I think that um, uh, uh, people see other people doing on the Internet and go, I want to do that. It's like, yeah, but you you're you work you work in 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes have travel demands, too. I've got people get on planes and have to do track workouts in Dallas because they had business meetings. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing. So my philosophy is fit the running into your life. Um, allow yourself to dream, but then meet the physiologic needs to meet the demands of your goal. Right. Mm-hmm. All the while being good at the other stuff that we have to be good at. Husbands, wives, professionals, etc. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's different when you're in college, and oh, it's heavens. your your job is to run. Like if you're if you're a collegiate athlete, like that that was my job. You know, I yeah, I went to Absolutely. class and I did well. And being an athlete made me better at managing my time, and it made me a better student. But I wanted to run. I wanted to race, and so oh, absolutely. There's a uh, that doesn't exist once you hit, you know, the real world. No, <laughs> no it doesn't. I mean, I remember sitting in the front um, uh, uh, in the front row of, of, of English lit and sitting there literally doubled over with what we refer to as steady steak stomach. We've all had it right after mm-hmm. doing this horrible steady state course we would go um it was 8.6 miles and we had run to lover's leap in waco and it was four hills out and it was three hills back right um and 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 um we would run 520 pace uh, uh, literally up 
these massive hills all the way through and come back. And then I would have to sit there and try to concentrate in English. <laughs> lit. Well, well, I could get away with not concentrating in English because, you know, it might be three weeks till the next test. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was physically there, but I could be turned off and then class would be done at three. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we could go and do some recovery stuff if we needed to and go to the trainer and then we could lollygag into the dining hall and all that. It wasn't mm -hmm. really reality. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yep. where else are you done every day at three o'clock? Well, I haven't been done working at three o'clock in 20 years. <laughs> right. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Right. And so you're right. It, your reality changes. Your reality mm -hmm. changes. And uh, um, but you know what's interesting? The maturity levels go obviously way up especially for the men, I'm told, um, as we get older. Uh, and it's uh, um, people learn how to manage their time better when they get older. And they also mm -hmm. become a little bit more in tune with their body and also <clears throat> are able to jettison the marriage that we had in college, which was interesting. We were in class few, fewer hours a day relative to the number of hours that you and I actually work, right? Mm -hmm. But man... <clears throat> we would try to cram a lot into a week. And I, I, you know, running races on dead legs was sort of the norm, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, I don't ever send a runner to a race and tell them, well, we're just training through this. I mean, mm. sort of ish. I mean, I had a runner on a six day taper going to half marathon this week, but um, it wasn't like, you know, we did a hard workout 48 hours before and said, okay, go race. Good luck, everybody. Right. And that's just antithetical to my to sort of my approach at this point. Right. Yeah. Like, coach, why are we doing this? Like, oh, because at the end of the season, when you finally get rest, then you'll run, you know, you'll run like it's you different. <laughs> yeah. And like training, training and racing for a half and a full is different than having an entire season of track meets every week. Like you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. You don't want to run trashed. Hundred percent. It's just a different kettle of fish. Different kettle mm. of fish for sure. Yep. So, how how does that translate into like the the X's and O's of yes. of the training of the programming? <clears throat> yeah, and I'll tell you what. One of the cornerstones of what it is I do um, is uh, critical velocity training. Mm -hmm. Right now, we don't take every athlete and take them into the lab and test their max VO2 and know exactly what 88 to 94 percent of their max VO2 pace is. Right. Mm -hmm. But we have some ways to arrive at some pretty good guesses that are really, really functional. Right. In a group environment in practice. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you could take some people and say, OK, how how far can this guy run or how far can this gal run um, running all out for 12 minutes? And even if they haven't done that recently, you could take a recent 5k time and go, okay, they probably run maybe about 10 seconds a mile faster. You know, if they could reduce the race time by four and a half or five minutes here. And I'm guessing this is max VO2 pace. So <clears throat> about 90 to 94% of that is X, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole point is critical velocity training is just a massive bang for your buck. Chris Puppion at UC Davis uh, really invested a lot into that type of training. And it's done um, in a lot of uh, collegiate programs. <clears throat> and a lot of coaches may not even call it that per se, 
but it's training at paces <clears throat> where you are not running a max field two pace because you and I can agree max field two pace is hard. You mm. can't do <clears throat> it's hard to go out and do 12,000 meters of max VO2 repeats, you know, in one workout. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can do 12,000 meters of critical velocity workouts for uh, uh, repeats for sure. Hmm. 1500s, 2Ks, 1500s, 1200s, 1800s on tiny little recoveries, typically one minute of recovery per thousand meters run. But without hmm. getting too far into the weeds, critical velocity training, you get the biggest bang for your buck. And it is <clears throat> useful for every distance. 1500 meters to the marathon, I would even argue even in limited amounts, even for 800 meter runners who attack it more from an aerobic standpoint, rather mm -hmm. than a snappy 400 meter uh, standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, uh, if you can increase your body's ability to deliver oxygenated blood to working muscles, and you go lactic later in a race, you're going to win that distance race, even if you're not necessarily the fastest kicker or sprinter. Well, hmm. at this point, when I'm dealing with high anaerobic events, building this massive aerobic system, right, where people just get really, really efficient at running at a pace that's just below max VO2 in large chunks, uh, in fairly big workouts, once every 10 to 14 days, uh, it's really, really helpful. And you can do it, gosh, just so much of the year. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's not stressful running. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I do. And then, of course, uh, some classic lactate threshold workouts with some uh, progressing down to maybe uh, some 10K and 5K pace stuff on the tail end. Um, did some of that today. Uh, it was really, really good. We had people run anywhere from uh, a seven mile tempo run with, you know, four half mile repeats down at 10K pace afterwards. Right. And the ten tempo run was at a pace about 15 seconds a mile faster than their goal marathon pace, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I had, you know, one, one, one woman run three miles basically at 10K pace, then two times a mile at 5K and then two times an 800 at 3K pace today. Mm. Right. That's mm -hmm. a big workout. And that's a good workout, you yeah. know. Um, it's so, you know, it's tempo running with some faster stuff on the tail end. Right. Um, and, and this isn't this isn't Maverick stuff. Right. I mean, you go and you look at what Mark Scott is doing and uh, you're not going to be surprised. And you look at like what Carisha Schweitzer, you know, is doing. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff, a lot of similar stuff. They'll go out and knock out a five mile tempo run and they'll go to the track and then they'll run six times an 800, you know, at a pace, you know, 15, 20 seconds per mile speed faster than they ran on their tempo on mm -hmm. short little recoveries. You know, this isn't this isn't earth shattering stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. The failure to build an adequate oxygen delivery system and then dial in race pace during long run segments, which is keystone to what we do, to me, can leave a runner coming up short. Right. Mm -hmm. If you haven't figured out or felt what marathon pace feels like at 19, 20 miles and you're in a marathon at 19 or 20 miles, the chances of your body really developing a, a a serious loathing for you it's probably pretty good <laughs> right so you know um this weekend you know we got a 20 mile workout for some mm. people who have marathon coming up and it's mm -hmm. going to be a five mile segment at 10 seconds faster than marathon pace mm. a three mile segment at 20 seconds a mile faster than marathon pace maybe 15 right and then a two mile segment where they're going to run probably at about 20 seconds a mile faster than marathon pace with one mile 
run recoveries, boom, they're going to be knocking down the 20th mile, probably 20 seconds faster than they're going to be knocking down the 20th mile on race day. Right. Mm Got to do it, man. Um, You know, going out and jogging, jogging your long runs and hoping that uh, you're going to feel really, really good running a minute and 20 seconds faster than that at that point in your race in three weeks. Um, you know, I think could leave you coming up short. So those are the keystones, critical velocity training, lactate threshold training with some, you know, sometimes sprinkling in some faster stuff on the tail end and then building in three or four long run workouts in the last couple of months prior to a big race where you're running um, at a goal race pace or below for half marathon and marathon for segments of that run. Um, that way you can start neurologically um, building in what it feels like to run that pace and then psychologically, man, we just really can't discount the benefits of that either. It's big Mm. time. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, it's so tempting to like focus on this. It's so tempting Mm. to look at the data that I can, that I can Mm. pull up on Garmin. I can pull up on Strava, but like, sometimes you just got to put yourself in a position where you're like, it's going to feel like this at this point in the race. Get into that position where you feel that because you want to be used to that. Right. You know, um, I always tell people that it's about 70% science and 30% art. Mm. And trying to cookbook coaching can get somebody who knows nothing into a position where they know something and they could be a real service and they can be a real help to people who want to get moving and racing and they can really be a massive asset um, to kids they coach so i do not um uh, 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 uh sort of decry the ills of cookbook coaching um at a certain level i mean mm-hmm. at some point somebody's got to start learning somewhere right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the art of coaching is something that you learn by feel from doing. And there's just really no way to explain that. You know, my wife was coached in the Baylor system under Clyde Hart, running the Mm -hmm. 400 meters at Baylor. But, you know, um, Coach Hart even used to say, hey, I can give somebody the workouts, but until you know how to tweak it, until you know how to look at an athlete and say a little bit more of that, maybe a little bit less of that, right? Mm -hmm. Just like a dash of salt, maybe a little less garlic, right? It's the same way, obviously, with distance running. And um, I've found that over the years, I've gotten better and better. I don't think I was a great coach in 2001. I really don't. I thought I really helped that young man out. I mean, he didn't stink. He he got a scholarship to the University of Houston, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there were things that I did wrong because what happened was, is I made the mistake of believing that because it worked for me, when I was 18, it must have been great, mm-hmm. right? And uh, my times were solid in high school. And so what I found out was, well, you know, maybe not doing a tempo run at all the entire uh, second semester of my senior year in high school when I was a 3,200-meter runner and I, and I was not fast. I, I couldn't break 53, maybe 54 seconds in a 400 if you tied a cinder block around my leg and dumped me out of an airplane. Right. I needed that high end aerobic stimulus and I didn't get it. Right. But I I made the same mistake with this young guy and I didn't give him enough tempo running. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I never mm-hmm. figured out why I sort of bottomed out at around 930 for 3,200 meters. I was 26 years old at the time. Now I look back and I think, hey, man, if I just sent him out and had him do a few more five milers at 545 pace, he mm-hmm. would have been he would have been way better off, right? Mm-hmm. So you learn. It's the art of coaching. It's looking at this and kind of going, okay, they look tired. Maybe they don't need to do that workout today. Maybe mm-hmm. go run easy. But if you're cookbooking it, you know, sometimes it's on paper. So we're going to go do it. And so it's the nuance. And like you said, putting somebody saying, hey, you see to feel it. But I'm not going to overscience this. I'm telling you, you need to feel this mm-hmm. to be able to manage the, uh, uh, the stress, to manage the urgency, to manage the psychology of race day. And we're going to go do it. We're just going to feel it. And we're not going to abandon science, but at some point you need to realize that the neck up is really, really important and needs to be addressed sometimes as much as the neck down mm. in, in general. Right. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. The yeah. I uh, recently finished up. Um, it's a Matt Fitzgerald book. Sure. Um, How bad do you want it? Or he's, yeah. he's basically saying like, it's like, it's all mental. Like it's like, yes, you, it's the physical training. You have to do it, but the limiting factor at the end of the day for cardiovascular Mm -hmm. performance is it's all up there. And if you're not putting yourself in a position where you're training that on a consistent basis, that doesn't mean, you know, going hard every day, but Mm -hmm. like where, um, where you you've got to be inside your head and you've got to say, yes, it hurts. This is extremely uncomfortable. I could stop right now. I could end this discomfort right now. Right. But I'm not going to. And I text messaged somebody yesterday and they said, well, it was hard. And I said, well, yeah, of course it's hard Mm. because it's, it's running. And if it wasn't, (laughs) then we would call it bowling or darts. Right. (laughs) I've never met anybody who went anaerobic. Uh, 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 bowling or winning the lactic debt, throwing darts, right? Mm, mm-hmm. But here's the deal. You train restraint. You train mm. uh, patience. You physically train uh, the body to handle the rigors of aerobic exercise by giving them formulated workouts that increase uh, mitochondrial density, Right. Mm-hmm. distal capillarization. Those are fun mm-hmm. words, right? Mm-hmm. Those are sciencey things that then put the building blocks of aerobic performance and capability into a homo sapien, right? Mm-hmm. But the training of the mind then has to come in, like you said, to then take the engine that you've built and then go out there on race day and be able to go and win the race. It's so you know, um, you can't um, divorce the mental from the physical um, and the physical has to be there because, um, man, I'll tell you, um, we love to talk in cliche and uh, mind over matter is a is, is a great thing to say. And mind over matter is is fun in uh, certain coaching circles. But I'm here to tell you that when you're a mile twenty four. And your body's gone into full physical shutdown and you're a tough guy and you're like, I'm just going to push through it. Sometimes matter wins over mind. And so Mm. you've got to make sure that you have trained the matter, which is your body's physical ability to race. That way, when your mind actually puts the proverbial pedal down, the body can go. 
And so the two, uh, the two have to function um, uh, uh, sort of synergistically in a way that's going to work out for you on race day. And it's hmm. tough, tough business, right? Yeah, I have, uh, I have no experience uh, racing a half or a full. Um, Don't do it. I have no intention. <laughs> like 10K is as far as I want to race. Like I, I was a half miler yeah. in high school. And then yeah. I, like I did the basically up to the steeplechase for track. Sure. And like I hated running 8K and 10K for cross country. Like I was not interested in that at all. And so like now I'm like training for this 10K and I'm like, man, what's with all this? Like a 10 mile long run? Like what? This is garbage. <laughs> this is so run. dumb. That's, that's, yeah. that's so awful. That's so far for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, it's fine. but like, I love how, you know, like from, from an outside perspective, like distance running is distance running. Like if you can run, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm averaging about 40 miles a week. Like I could, I can go out and run a half marathon. I could just, I could just sure. enter, I, I could enter a race and do that. Like some of my clients, uh, they're like, oh, you, you know, you did a 10 mile run or one time I did a, a 12 mile run. And they're like, oh, you, go sign up for the half, go run the half. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that unless I'm racing it. Like yes. I can, I can run 13 miles, but I can't race 13 miles right now. Like there's a huge difference. And, and so I, I love learning more about the nuances of like, okay, the, somebody who's training for a 5k and someone who's training for a marathon are both going to employ like you like you said some of these mm -hmm. specific zones or these specific uh training stimuli but like a tempo run for somebody who's racing a 5k like that's mm -hmm. slower than their race pace but then mm -hmm. for the marathoner or the half marathoner now their tempo run is you know, could be if, if they're doing the tempo based off their 5k, now it's going to be way faster than their race pace. So it's like, okay, learning about how to train somebody for a half marathon or marathon is like, I thought I understood it because I was like, Oh, I know, I know how to train for a 5k and 10k. Like, no, no, no. there's, it's, it's different. It's so different. And like, that's one of the things I love about endurance running is there's, you can always dig deeper. You can always learn something new and you can dig into the science and that's great. Or you can be like Zane and Jake Robertson and you can move to E10 Kenya and you can just learn as you go. Like, right. Yeah, that works too. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, well, it is interesting because it raises an interesting point in that, uh, uh, terminology doesn't always mean the same thing to everybody, mm. right? When you say, mm -hmm. I'm going to go do an eight mile tempo run. Well, well, what does that mean to you? You know, mm -hmm. um, tempo run to some people might be marathon pace. Tempo run to some people might be 10 K pace. Tempo run to some people might be the scientifically formulated, uh, uh, uh lactate threshold, right? Pace mm -hmm. for them. And, mm -hmm. You know, and for them, you know, that mean that might mean that they only run for 30 minutes. Right. Uh, it's so, uh, you know, I'm careful not to overuse terms that can be misinterpreted. But I think for 
shorthand purposes, we're sort of, sort of forced to, right? Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. to actually say, we're going to do an eight mile run today and you are going to run at 10 seconds a mile faster than marathon pace, right? Mm-hmm. That way it doesn't leave anything up to the imagination for the athlete. It's so, right. you know, when we assign these paces, you know, we, we're, we're very specific about it. You know, if your goal race pace is 650, which is 259 marathon speed, right? You know, a tempo run for you might be eight miles at 640 pace, which is 10 seconds a mile faster than marathon speed. And then you mm-hmm. might do some repeats down at about 620 pace on the tail end, maybe four, five, six times an 800 in 310 on a minute recovery, something like mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. They call that, well, that's tempo day. That's what they call it. But it's actually, there's a ton of specificity as far as exactly what it is they're doing that comprises this thing that's generically referred to as tempo day. For a 5K mm-hmm. runner, tempo day might be just, you know, four miles at, uh, you know, at, at, at a pace that is, um, you know, at, gosh, you know, 95% of max VO2 pace and they're hanging on for dear life, you know, mm-hmm. and. You know, some people call call them tempo runs, and really, they're just once weekly races. Um, uh, <laughs> that's that's what we did in college. We lied mm-hmm. to ourselves and said they were tempo runs. They're races. Come on now, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember I set my eight mile PR on an eight mile tempo run, <laughs> right? Closed in like nine fifty the last two miles, and we called it a tempo run. That's racing, just come on, <laughs> right? Please. Yeah, that's that's one of the things. Like the way that I go about training now and the way yeah. that I trained in college, like part of it was um, even though my goal was to coach, like I knew I wanted to coach while I was in college. Sure. I wasn't paying attention to like how to coach and how mm. to program. I was like, eh, no, I'm here to run fast. I'm outsourcing all of that to my coach it's his mm. job to keep track of that. And I I wish I was more uh, a part of the process. Not that not that I would decide what I was going to do, but but just more involved in saying, Hey coach, like what's going on today? What's the purpose of the day? What do I need to be focused on? How do I win the day? Right? Like if we're making this a game, like now when I do recovery runs. I make sure that I don't let my heart rate get above about 150 beats per minute because Mm. that's how I ensure that I'm going to be ready for the hard workout in one or two days time. When I was in college, all right, it's an easy day. All right, I'm just going to run easy sort of, but like maybe I was running way faster than I should have. And so it was kind Mm -hmm. of, I wish I was, I had been more like keyed in and locked into the process and now, like, I, I think about every day as a game. Like, okay, what's, what are the rules for the game today? How do I win today? So for me, yes, heart rate, 150. Keep it below that. So I start yes. my watch. I switch to, the, to just the heart rate showing up on the screen. And every, you know, two to three minutes, I'm checking to make sure. Oh, I go over. Okay, I'm not winning today. Uh, like, I'm, which is going to mean I'm not going to win my hard workout tomorrow. So, yeah. 
what are there things that you do either personally or that you coach your athletes where you're you're making it so that they have specific things like this is your goal today only focus on this don't worry about your pace don't worry about this don't worry about that like this is all you're gonna gonna worry about and then tomorrow this is all you're gonna worry about and then the next day this is all you're gonna worry about are you gamifying things and it, yeah, and it's a good question. It varies um, by the individual. I think globally speaking, I tell everybody that their job is to embrace the hard, easy dichotomy mm-hmm. that is running and do not let the training amalgamate into that sort of unrecognizable blob of semi-hard running that mm-hmm. it did for me in college. Mm-hmm. where I would lie to myself and tell myself that running 630 pace on an eight or 10 mile run the day after a hard interval day was an easy run, right? Embrace <laughs> running easy as a conduit through which you are actually going to get better. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, and so I really, really tell everybody that it's your job to run easy. And it seems funny because people I think at first blush and say, well, how hard is that? You're telling them to work hard at not working hard. Well, when you're dealing with driven people who have their experiences rooted in the U.S. high school and collegiate systems, I've got runners who ran for Brown, University of Texas, Tulane, Johns Hopkins, High Point, and Everybody has similar stories. And so embracing easy and short circuiting the wiring that we do that's quintessentially American, which is if I study till midnight for that final, think how much more I'm going to learn if I stay up till 3 a.m. Right. (laughs) Um, No pain, no gain. Mm -hmm. Think about think about that. Mm -hmm. Embrace the grind. When our brake pads grind, we take our car to the repair shop. We don't rejoice in slamming on the brakes harder (laughs) in speeding up and so that we can hit the brakes at the last minute at a red light for fun because Mm -hmm. we love ruining the rotors on our car. We Mm -hmm. don't do that. We don't embrace the grind. We get rid of the grind, right? Mm. And so my point is, is we don't grind every day. So I tell everybody, your job is to embrace the short circuiting of the wiring that's gone on for you between the ages of 14 and 22 or 23 years old. If you were in school for five years, right? Mm -hmm. Six, if you got your COVID year, right? And so your job is to embrace running easy when I say easy. And, um, you know, sometimes people think I'm the old guy who stands out in the snow and howls at the moon, right? Um, I am an advocate of heart rate in certain instances and the biggest one and the one that's most frequent is your easy days. And I'm with you because most of the people I coach are about, uh, are about your age. Right. And I tell them, look, 135 to 150, let's get in that range on your heart rate. Right. And I don't mm-hmm. want to see easy runs at 167 because that mm-hmm. means you're doing something that's harder than easy. Uh, 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 but not, but not, training in an actual zone or training a system that's specific enough to really do anything for you. And because you're still trying to recover from the hammer festival that was yesterday's workout, you're really actually doing more damage than harm. 
Mm -hmm. right? But we mm -hmm. love to embrace the get 1% better every day thing. Mm -hmm. Now, listen, I'm from Tyler, Texas. Not great at math. Listen, I've been getting by all my good looks and my scintillating wit my whole life. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that in 100 days, if you get 1% better, that means you're going to be 100% better, right? Mm -hmm. Than you were three months and 10 days ago. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever seen somebody get 100%? Well, what's, what was 100% of your 800 time? I mean, you were going to get one. So you're going to run a zero. That's your goal. <laughs> one of you're going to run a zero in that race, right? So let's just be careful about the silly stuff we say, right? Yeah, and yeah. then don't try to do things, which inevitably means that uh, we are going to be running hard on our easy days because our progress is not like that. Mm -hmm. Distance running progress is more like that. Little uptick, things like that. Little uptick, mm -hmm. right? So the next thing I tell people that their job is is to be consistently good, right? <laughs> Everybody knew the guy who was occasionally great, occasionally great, right? Bust mm -hmm. a workout, but then would go three weeks and would drop out of workouts or be in dead last. Mm -hmm. You know, let's just be the guy who's just consistently good. So be consistent. It's your job to embrace consistency, meaning let's create reproducibility in our effort by meeting the demands of the day. It's your job to study the workout because they're sent to everybody 14 days in advance. Understand mm -hmm. the parameters of the work. Right. And embrace simply meeting the demands of the workout. It's not your job to beat the workout. Hmm. The paces are set for a reason mm -hmm. to get the physiologic result, which is the goal that you have set four months from now. You don't need to beat the uh, a workout. It's my job to think. It's your job to simply just understand it and meet the demands. So be consistently good and embrace recovery and embrace easy days. And those are two things we didn't do in college. We ran hard on easy days and then we would try to beat the workout. Right. Mm -hmm. And everybody loves that coach that would hike his football coach in shorts up, you know, <laughs> over his belly button and would love watching guys vomit and all that deal on spring break in high school, you know, because mm -hmm. they were the brave ones that didn't go on a family ski trip. Right. Mm -hmm. well, you know, we're done with that, man. Uh, we know um, how to get better without having blood squirting out the corners of your eyes every day at practice. We know mm -hmm. that. Right. Yes. Yeah. yes. We um, should anyway. You, you know, you know, but we, we, we tend to we tend to relapse. You know, I mean, uh, running really, really hard, going into, quote, the pain cave, right, is necessary mm -hmm. at times. But going into it all the time, right, mm -hmm. um, can, can can lead to injury and uh, 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 blindness and early death of your career, right? <laughs> and um, the, the new saying is dipping into the well. Yeah, dipping into the well, right? Well, you, you, go, you go into the well too much, that well's going to run dry. Mm -hmm. And but it's a sexy beast. It's intoxicating. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's incredibly um, uh, 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 attractive to people who are already driven, mm -hmm. who embrace the need to work hard, to do hard things. And so it's a sexy beast that people tend to relapse into, which is running too hard at times when they're not supposed to. Right. Mm -hmm. But then but then having this massive workout that's set up for it to be hard and then showing up maybe coming up a bit short. So, you know, it's about balance, right? But I'm a believer in the big workout. We do big workouts.
mm-hmm. big workouts, and then we recover hard. That's the key. Yeah. Do you have like a 60-40 sort of balance through the week where like 60% of, of your running days are easy focused, 40% mm-hmm. are hard focused, or how does that uh, on average play out? You know, the funny thing is I haven't run percentages on it. Um, I look at the runner's goals. I look at their current fitness and I assign the work in volumes that's appropriate for them to get where they want to get. Right. Um, we do big workout typically midweek uh, today. You know, uh, for some people, it was 15 miles of total running when you do the warm ups and the cool downs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll have another you know, uh, uh, 18 to 20 mile run this Saturday. Cause some of them have a big workout on Saturday. Right. And then it's just filling it in. Some people are at 65 to miles a week. Some people are at 80 miles a week. And so I don't look at percentages as much as I look at what is this workout designed to accomplish? Right. If you're training for a marathon, doing four miles of, uh, lactate threshold work on a Wednesday is not adequate. And I had some people come to me and say, well, this is what I was doing. And I tell them, well, no long, no wonder you were dying at mile 18 of your marathon. You you were training, you know, uh, doing as much lactate threshold work as uh, some of my high school girls, you know, would do um, Mm -hmm. when they were seniors in high school to run the 3200. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's important to meet the needs of the event that they're trying to run. And so I, 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 I prescribe work. This commissariate with that goal to meet the demands of that, you know, typically on marathon builds with an experienced runner, uh, lactate threshold sessions, total 10 miles of work up to 12 miles of work, sometimes more. But, you know, 10 to 12 miles of work is pretty typical. The uh, uh, critical velocity sessions, um, eight to 12,000 meters of work, depending on the um, individual. And, you know, I do all that on one minute of recovery per thousand meters run. Right. Mm-hmm. So it might be, you know, four sets of 2K, 1K, 2K with two minutes recovery, 1K with one minute recovery. You might come in and out of that or, you know, might run 1500, three times a 1200, three times a thousand, six times an 800, all on one minute of recovery per, you know, repeat run. So those are the kinds of mm-hmm. volume that I give on a big workout midweek. Right. And then they may do some speed development stuff right on a Friday. So throw in, you know, two 20 or 30 second strides per mile in the middle five miles of a seven mile run, you know, the day before a 17, 18, 19 mile run. Right. Because you still Mm got to spin the wheels a little bit. So do a little bit of neuromuscular stimulus stuff, but Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm -hmm. running an event that, you know, is about one percent and anaerobic in its composition. Right marathon half marathon don't need Mm -hmm. to do a lot of anaerobic stuff but you've got to spin the wheels right Mm -hmm. so i have people spin down they may run you know 12 to 14 times 20 second fast strides in the middle of a seven eight nine mile run on a friday afternoon uh you know on the trail around the lake stuff Mm -hmm. like that yeah yeah regardless of the distance at the very end you're probably gonna have to try to outkick somebody so yeah um Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and just from a neuromuscular standpoint, if you can just push that red line out, because if you think Mm -hmm. about it, 
and everything from the 800 to the marathon, what are we actually spending our time doing? I'm trying to change where the red line is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So you're a guy that sits around on the couch. You haven't run a day in your life. Your red line is probably 10 minute pace for um, 150 meters, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For, you know, Kira D'Amato, her red line apparently, right, <laughs> is 520 pace for 26 miles. That's her red line. But how, so how do you push the red line out? That's the point. How do you increase running economy? How do you increase running efficiency? How do you mm-hmm. uh, uh, build this? Now, you, you build it aerobically, but it's, it, it's also neurologic. And you're a scientist. I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I say neuromuscular stimulus, it's building the neurologic pathways by which when your brain says go, the legs know what go means, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. so, you know, I'm talking to one young lady right now and the, you know, the goal is to qualify for the U.S. Olympic trials in the marathon, right? The red line right now for the marathon is hmm, 6.15 pace. How do we get that to 5.59 pace? Why 5.59? Well, because that's like 2.36.50, Right. And that'll get you under the that'll get you under the under the line, right? And you'll get into mm-hmm. the trials. So how do we make running six minute pace just feel easy? Push the red line out. So mm-hmm. today it was, you know, uh, uh, three miles in sixteen forty nine, two times a mile in five twenty seven, and then a couple of eight hundreds down around two thirty seven, two thirty eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, we're pushing the red line. We're trying to make running six minute pace easier. Right. Short term goals of 10K long term mm-hmm. jump back in a marathon in the fall. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that reminds me of something I was just reading about Frank Shorter um, in the mm. mid in the middle of, you know, his highest volume weeks prepping for a marathon. He was still doing uh, 200s in 26 to 28 because he was like, if I can run those that fast marathon pace is a breeze. It's going to feel easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, um, you've got to, you've got to make sure that you don't completely neglect those systems, but you also have to really, really be careful that you're not training them in volumes that are, uh, inappropriate, right? <laughs> the 5% of your volume is anaerobic per week and you're mm-hmm. training for the marathon, I would argue that that's about four and a half percent too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it is what it is, man. You know, you can, mm-hmm. you can run 150 meter, uh, uh, sprints until the cows come home. The question is, can you run for the men five fifteen pace for 26 straight miles? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That is a high anaerobic endeavor that has very, very little, uh, um, anaerobic component to it as far mm-hmm. as the system that you're training and the physical demands in a, in a highly trained runner. Yeah, that's, yeah, that the context of, of knowing that like, yeah, it's, it's like 99% aerobic. Like why, why spend time doing something that's not going to improve that 99%? Like you're, you're missing the forest for the trees there. I so. agree. I agree. And keep in mind, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a JD, a doctor of jurisprudence, not an MD, right? And I'm not a PhD and I'm, I'm not as smart as you. And so what did I have to do? Um, people reached out to me and said, I need help. And 
Um, one thing that we learned in law school is that we don't know the answer, but we're really, really good at looking things up. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so go and learn what you need to know to be able to meet your <clears throat> client's needs. Right. And so if you're trying to start a trash company, then you need to make sure that you know how to pick up people's trash and understand how to scale your business. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know, go look it up or ask for help. And so what did I do? I'm not scared to pick up the phone and call. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I have had the benefit of coaching high schoolers who went on and ran collegiately. Right. So what better resource than um, the top collegiate coaches. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm unashamed to say that I, you know, uh, uh, I call Steve Gully, be like, coach. What do you think about this? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I have to, you know, and, uh, um, you know, I, I've, I'll, I'll call Heather Burroughs. Right. I'd be mm-hmm. like, Coach, Coach Burroughs, what do you think about this? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you figure Coach Wetmore and Coach Burroughs have coached one or two decent runners in their time. Right. You might know yeah. a little something, might be able to help a little something. Uh-huh. Um, John, John Hayes. Right. I was at Texas. Now is it Wake Forest? You know, I don't know. I mean, was Lino Manzano OK? I, mean, <laughs> I guess he was, was Lopez Lamont a decent runner. Oh, gee, I don't know. So, you know, uh, you know, and Pat Tyson. Right. He's a Gonzaga. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he spent part of his time living on the side of a hill with with the. Uh, with, with pre back in his uh, young formative years. I mean, so you can consult these people, right? And then, mm-hmm. of course, here in Texas, you know, uh, uh, Rick Miller at Grapevine High School, Chris Schrader, uh, the famous Chris Schrader. He was my coach when I was in elementary school, when I was in, in junior high, when I was in eighth grade, right? Mm-hmm. Coached, what, 60, 70 state champions, you know? Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. you use people who are your resources and don't try to reinvent the wheel because, you know, Dr. V. Hill, right? And uh, 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 folks like that, they've got they've got the answer. So let's not try to reinvent the wheel. That wheel, that wheel has been built. But let's tweak it for our own needs. Recognize, hey, maybe I'm not um, in in Boulder where there's low humidity and you can run outside at noon year round, right? Mm-hmm. We're in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe I'm not at uh, six sixty five hundred feet in Colorado Springs. Um, so maybe we can train at marathon pace without overloading our runners, but at the same time, we got to be cognizant of the reality that it's 85% humidity and 80 degrees. So you got to mm-hmm. tweak it. You got to know how to do that, but still consult experts and make sure that you know where you're going. And so I did a lot of that early in my career. I did a ton of that. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. They're all, they're, you know, we're, we're a pretty, uh, we're a pretty sharing bunch as coaches. Mm-hmm. People ask you like, Hey. You know, but I'll tell an athlete this. If your athlete can't tell if your coach can't tell you why you're doing something every day. Probably need to rethink your relationship with that coach, because if that mm-hmm. coach doesn't know the why. Right. Then, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've got a concern about that. So I always mm-hmm. tell my athletes, listen, man, this is a benevolent dictatorship. You're allowed to ask why. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. One time I was talking to Pat Tyson and I said, what about frog jumps and box jumps and uh you know, and hurdle drills and all this. And he sat there for, you know, 30, 40, 50 seconds. I rattle all the stuff off. He goes, Jeff, 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 Jeff. I said, yeah, coach, what? He goes, hey, man, uh, how old's this kid? I'm like, well, you know, he's a senior in high school. He's 17, he'll be 18. He goes, just make it about the running. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And then, the, and then, the, and then the guy ended up going to run four eleven and nine oh two that spring. You know, wow. I was mm-hmm. trying to gus it up so much. I was trying to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. Now I, I hesitate to tell people just make it about to run it, but sometimes they worry so much about, you know, how many exactly how many beers they're allowed to have and how much fat they're allowed to have and have mm-hmm. they gotten their micros and micros and all this other stuff. And I'm like. Well, I know, but you only ran 31 miles last week and you're training for a marathon. Like, why don't you just worry about the running? Because the rest of that stuff's not going to help you. <laughs> so I think, I think the fact that he's done. So <laughs> that's too funny. But yeah, that's, that's so true. Like you can, uh, you, you can easily get caught up in, in the little things and forget like, oh yeah, I, I have to run that far. I should probably be running pretty far for the week. Yeah, you know, um, I, like I always say, I, I'm reluctant to just say make it about the running. But um, somebody the other day said, man, that was a really long workout. And she's training for a half marathon. I said, yeah, it's because you run really long races. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be a light bulb moment for her. Like, oh, oh I don't know if it was a light bulb moment, but it was a fun <laughs> zinger to fire off. That's for sure, right? You know? For sure. That's too funny. So, uh, are there, were there any specific aha moments, uh, either early Mm -hmm. on in the coaching career or like even now, like it, it sounds like you are, you're not content knowing what you know now, like you're still trying to push the envelope, get better at coaching. So Mm -hmm. what, any aha moments that you can share? Yeah. You know, in the aha moments, I think at this point for the listeners slash viewers may not be. Uh, particularly earth shattering, which was um, you can run uh, 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 easier more often and still get better. Mm. Um, Learning that the human body uh, breaks when it's under too much stress. And if it doesn't break, you run races that look like you're broken in spirit. Mm. Right. Mm hmm. It's obvious. You could see, you could see it sometimes. It means like, oof, that's not good. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the aha moment for me was that you could reduce your training density and you could be super, super moderate paces and that tough runners are going to race fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the realization uh, that I came to probably in 2008 that you couldn't give a runner a hard workout to build a set of guts in them that they don't already have Mm -hmm. tough guys and tough gals are tough guys and tough gals, right? Mm -hmm. They can get toughness through um, increased confidence through increased fitness that then allows them to run with confidence and then run fast races, which then can begat toughness because um, it's worth it to run hard. If the result is going to be that and they can point at it. Right. Mm -hmm. But inherently, um, uh, 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 guts and toughness are an intrinsic thing. And so the aha moment I had was sort of an aha season where I said, we're going to run at paces that make sense rather than, than running races in practice to try to like build toughness so they'll be ready to do it race day. And then suddenly what happened was, is I noticed physically, the physical capacity just blossomed because it wasn't just constant, you know, uh, uh, just sort of mound, just lump of cortisol just sitting in their gut all day, every day. And mm-hmm. suddenly the races became phenomenally good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other sort of aha moment I've had is 
that uh, we as a society tend to confuse pessimism for realism. Right. And so what I tell people is, is within reason, I mean, you can't tell somebody, you know, who can't get more than one inch off the floor uh, in their five, six, that they're going to dunk a basketball. I mean, that, that, that might not be realistic, but within the mm-hmm. realm of reason, I tell people dream big. Now let's just get the blueprint together, understand this is a patience game, and then let's go to work and let's dare to dream because at the end of the day, what is life without dreams? What is life without hope? What is life without the things that make it spicy rather than mundane? Mm-hmm. So dream big. And we tend to go to the can't before the can sometimes. And I had to admit that sometimes early in my career, I was like, well, you know, um, like I told somebody the other day, you know, uh, uh, and that, 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 that scene in Rudy, you know, where they said, you know, you know, Notre Dame's not for everybody, but uh, don't confuse mm. pessimism for realism. Instead of shutting it down, go, hey, yeah, listen, maybe qualify for the Olympic trials is in the cards for you. We've got 700, 650 days, right? So let's, let's, let's use the next 650 days judiciously and let's see where we end up, mm. right? So the aha moment for me was when somebody did something I told them they couldn't do. Physically, I, they, I said, listen, I don't, I don't know if that's possible. They went and did it, and they kind of, you know, it was the, the greatest I told you so moment of all time. And I said, you know, hey, that's really, really good. So don't give up on our dreams. Dare to dream uh, 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 big, even if it's on the fringes of realistic. And then mm-hmm. let's just go work. Because, listen, there's nobility and there's utility in the process of working, right? Mm-hmm. It builds character. It builds um, um, a lot of a huge sense of satisfaction. And along the way, even if you don't hit the mark, you're still going to do something pretty phenomenally good. You're going to be infinitely proud of. That's the way I see it. Uh, You just said it in a way that is way better than I've been able to say something like that to to my high school kids. But the the thing that I try to get across to them is like, like shoot for excellence and the person that you will become along the way is like a really good teammate and a really good friend and someone that people can depend on and somebody who, who's like brave and courageous and willing to do very difficult things. And even if you don't reach that goal, you're going to be like a way better person and it's worth it. It's worth putting in all that time and effort and, and you know, Pain. You I gotta agree. deal with some pain. Like it's worth it. So I agree. So uh for anybody watching and listening, how can they follow the club? And if they have questions, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, uh on Instagram, we're at Bat City Track Club. Um, and then my actual personal uh, uh Instagram is at JD Cunningham97. Um and then as far as, you know, Bat City Track Club, we're basically regionally elite. Um, I always joke with people. I say, look, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're highly competitively recreational, right? Mm. Um, uh, you know, the men's PRs on the team range from the marathon 219 um, up into the 240s, right? Mm. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, and the women are in the 240s um, up into the two. Um, up into the high two fifties is sort of where we are. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we have one woman on the team who's, uh, who's, who's over three hours, I think. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that, that's coming down fast. Right. Um, have Mm -hmm. the potential uh, as a woman, you know, to break three hours, be in the zone and be sort of in that, uh, 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 
sort of training phase and period in your life where it's like, hey, you know, if I if I put this together, I'm going to be able to break three. That's kind of what I look at, you know, for the ladies and for the men. Basically, it's, you know, can you run 240, um, you know, down to, you know, down into the two teens in the marathon? That's kind of what we're looking at. Right. Yeah, that's um, fast. We have a um, couple of remote people. So it's not completely limited to Austin. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one um, elite uh, uh, lady up in Dallas um, who runs for the club. And, uh, um, you know, so we're not completely opposed to that, but for the most part, it's regional and uh, Austin based. Cause I like to be able to see people in their workouts. So. That's so awesome. Do y'all meet every day? Uh, no, we don't meet every day. Um, cause I'm trying to practice law Is here <laughs> uh, so we meet, uh, um, on Wednesdays for big workouts. So today was, uh, big uh, tempo workout day. Um, last Wednesday was a big critical velocity session on the track, right? Um, this Saturday, because we have the Woodlands Marathon coming up, and mm-hmm. then we have the Eugene Marathon coming up on May 1st for a ton of people. Um, mm-hmm. We have a big uh, marathon workout um, Saturday morning. So I'll see everybody again um, early on Saturday morning and they'll uh, they'll hit those workouts however they've been uh, prescribed. So Awesome. That's so yeah. awesome. Well, Coach Cunningham, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This has been a really fun conversation, and uh, and I've learned a lot. And um, yeah, I can't wait to have you back on again in the future to to discuss some more stuff. I would love it anytime. You know, like I always like to say, I've never met a sentence I didn't like to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much, Coach. All, All right, y'all. have a good one. Good night. Likewise. All right, y'all. Thanks for watching and listening, and stay tuned for next week's episode. Adios.